Welcome to Fire Genius, a podcast dedicated to all things intellectual property presented by the Indiana University Maurer School of Law's IP Theory Journal. My name is Marcus, and I am a 2L at Maurer. I'm also here alongside. Hi guys, my name is Luke, and I'm also a 2L here at Maurer. And Philip Olin is joining as well, also a 2L. And today we have a very special topic for you. Uh, we have uh, our friend here, Luke Steffi presenting and discussing with us uh, the topic of his paper he wrote last semester uh, for submission to the IP Theory Journal. So, Luke, we'd love to hear a little bit about it. Absolutely. So, like Marcus said, my name is Luke Steffi, and my note is titled Protection and Prevention, the Shortcomings of U.S. Copyright Law in Combating Cultural Appropriation in the Fashion Industry. We're going to only be talking about one small section of my note today, centering around copyright law and the concepts of authorship but I'll give you a quick overview of my note. American fashion represents an eclectic patchwork of diverse experiences and ideas. However, drawing upon indigenous communities, cultural identities, and sacred traditions easily crosses the line between inspiration and appropriation. In reality, designs derived from culturally significant symbols stolen from indigenous communities and stripped of their meanings flood the American market. From runway shows to sports teams' mascots to undergarment designs, these manifestations of cultural appropriation occur legally under the U.S. copyright regime, and adaptations to the current westernized system of intellectual property rights must integrate indigenous perceptions of communal ownership with respect to their intellectual property. Copyright protection empowers native communities with both a sword and shield, allowing for protection and enforcement of their sacred art forms. By expanding current notions of authorship, Copyright protection can extend to traditional designs and protect them from constant appropriation and, quite frankly, stealing, which occurs by fashion labels. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about authorship in the context of indigenous fashion design. Um, Before we start, are there any ideas, cultural ideas, that you all have of cultural appropriation happening? I I suppose the first that comes to my mind, and I don't know if this actually is an instance of that, um, but is the chevron? Um, design. Uh, uh, I'm trying. To, I'm struggling to describe it in, in words, but uh, you oftentimes see it on blankets um, or, or other uh, points of clothing. And, and that that it, have you heard of that before? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this actually cuts pretty much to the heart of the problem right away. And the the issue with integrating these culturally um, significant designs into copyright law is the fact that we don't really know where they came from because they've developed over generations. They have been shared amongst different generations of native communities, of indigenous communities. Therefore, it's hard to nail down exactly who the author is, who owns them, when they were created. And this frustrates essentially every tenant of copyright law that exists today. Philip, do you have any uh, examples in mind of cultural appropriation? Yeah, I was going to say that I, I think, honestly, I would struggle to identify one off the top of my head, but I bet if, if indeed your, your paper happens to cite an example, I bet I would be surprised at just how, how much of this is occurring. In other words, I would not be at all surprised to learn that many of the features of, of modern fashion that I've come to recognize were not... Uh, you know, did not see their origin kind of where I, I see them coming from, but rather from somewhere else culturally. Absolutely. And whenever your designs um, are, they fit within the tenets of copyright law, you're able to be granted a copyright. Um, therefore, you're protected from other companies stealing your design, mass producing your design. However, when you're not able to get that protection in the very first place, you're unable to prevent that from happening. Therefore, your designs just flood the market. 
and any company can willingly just take those designs, mass produce them, and turn a profit on them. So the most identifiable issue with copyright law right now is authorship. So the Copyright Act, as it stands today, recognizes three types of authorship. Sole authorship, joint authorship, and works made for hire. Mm -hmm. So a sole author is an individual who either produces or superintends the production of the work and serves as the mastermind of the work. Um, a joint authorship occurs when two or more authors' contributions combine to form an inseparable or interdependent work with the intention and agreement to create a joint work. And works made for hire are a third category, but they're not super relevant to our discussion today. So why don't these indigenous designs fit within the joint authorship category? Uh, let me think. Thinking back to <laughs> my copyright law uh, class, I think that um, joint authorship requires basically at the outset of the creation of the work essentially intent on the part of both of the authors that the work be a work of joint authorship. I think that the sort of impetus that's placed by the Copyright Act is really to drive authors to put their agreements in contract as much as possible. It is possible to have joint authorship outside of a contractual agreement, but it's, it's much more difficult uh, to sort of arise just out of the circumstances. Absolutely, and as you can imagine, um, indigenous communities create designs over periods of generations. So if there's 300 years that a work spans, creating that intent to create a joint work from the outset is almost impossible because the people who finished the work were not even alive mm -hmm. whenever the people who started it were. Um, so you can see that these, these fundamental principles of copyright law are just not compatible with the way in which these indigenous designs are developed and created over time. So the Copyright Act uh, follows a concept of authorship which is rooted in romantic individualism, which considers writings to be a product of one man's unique thoughts transcribed for the rest of the world to read. So this individualistic nature of copyright law really cuts to the fundamental um, incompatibilities. On the other hand, indigenous communities view their work as belonging to the entire community. They are part of the community, they are created by the community, and they are for the enjoyment of the community. And that's, that, that really strikes me as interesting because, as, as you stated, copyright law is sort of based in the idea of the individual and it, in contradiction to that, things that aren't uh, you know, owned by the individual are in the public domain and therefore are free for everybody. But it sounds like you know, in opposition to that, this sort of communal ownership really isn't... Uh, it, the public domain as an analogy for that doesn't really work quite as well because... I would assume that you'd contend that there's there's some actual ownership, there's actual communal ownership as opposed to it sort of being limitless, uh, boundless public uh, dedication. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the sad irony of this all is the public domain. And the fact that these indigenous communities, their designs aren't traceable to an author means, like you said, they're in the public domain. Therefore, other companies can exploit these designs from the public domain freely. The irony of it all is that these indigenous communities, like you hinted at, don't even recognize the public domain. They see their designs as joined or owned by the community. Therefore, they're not existing freely for the public. They're existing freely for this select group of people, the community. So a lot of indigenous communities across the whole world don't even have words in their language for an artist or an author. Instead, they use it in terms they use terms to describe individuals or groups of individuals as being knowledgeable or skilled in a particular area of creative works. And I think this just really emphasizes the fact that 
ownership is seen as a community venture and not as an individual um, enterprise with these communities. So as you can imagine, this makes solutions pretty difficult because they're not feasible within the existing framework of um, existing copyright law. Have, have there been any, uh, I guess to parlay into that point, have there been any legislative propositions, I suppose the United States, to combat some of that cultural appropriation or maybe elsewhere? Yeah, so my paper, or my note actually looks at attempts legislative um, across the world. There have not been any in the United States. In the fact, um, we talked about this on a previous episode, the United States is pretty resistant to any rights outside of the fundamental IP rights. Uh, we talked about moral rights on a previous episode and how the United States is pretty resistant to that. My note took the approach of looking at international solutions and then determining if those solutions would be feasible within the United States. I think one best case scenario solution would be to add a fourth category of authorship to the Copyright Act, um, specifically targeted for communal authorship. This gets sticky in many different ways and that, you know, we have the U.S. Constitution on one end acting as a guardrail, and we also have indigenous customary law acting as another guardrail. You know, as we mentioned earlier, the perceptions of property ownership of indigenous communities in the United States, the westernized ideals of property, are completely different. And a lot of scholars have resisted trying to fit indigenous art into the box of the current IP property law framework. So that would in itself suggest that there might be a need for some new category with new requirements? Absolutely, exactly. And I think that emphasizes why just a general category of a work is not enough. We need to redesign the fundamental tenets of copyright law to be compatible with these ideas. And that would include adding communal authorship um, to then you know, allow these communities to be seen as authors. So I, I guess bearing this out into the real world, would this then conceivably, or could we conceive a situation where certain communities would be granted copyrights, like the right of reproduction, right of ad adaptation, um, and things like that, or, or, or where would those rights vest? Yeah, absolutely. I would see that the rights would be held by the communities themselves. Okay. Uh, and this is seen in trademark law already. So the Navajo Nation, their trademark is one of their most valuable assets. Um, so there was a big case that went through the courts a few years ago where Urban Outfitters um, released a whole line of Navajo-themed undergarments. And that actually went through the courts, and they ended up settling it out, but Navajo did come out ahead in that situation. Um, and I think the difference between trademark law and copyright law are these tenets that we talked about, authorship, ownership. So allowing for a community to own a copyright just as a community owns a trademark, uh, I think would be the first step in integrating these ideals into our current framework. And just at the risk of putting too fine a point on it, the, the Navajo Nation owns the, the marks that were being asserted. They collectively own those marks, correct? They do, is yes. That, is that, that was the case? Okay. Yep. I think a less drastic change to the U.S. system as it exists would be if the United States started to recognize and enforce moral, moral rights. So in New Zealand, they created a distinctive mark for their indigenous communities that can only be used by the indigenous communities. Um, and it comes with this moral right of recognition. So any other entity who uses 
the work of these indigenous communities must recognize, must compensate, and must ask permission to use such symbols. And I think that would be a quicker and easier way to implement some form of protection here in the United States without completely rewriting the Copyright Act, for example. And correct me if I'm wrong, but legislation of that kind has at least been attempted in the United States. I believe, was it California that had state legislation that concerned the, the rights of visual artists? Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Absolutely, yes. So there have been a few state legislations specifically with art. And, you know, indigenous fashion design fits more broadly into this category of traditional cultural expressions, TCEs, uh, and that encompasses the art, the rituals, the garment design. And there have been state law attempts at implementing some form of moral rights to help these out. Also, the United States has passed some federal legislation. Um, The Native American Grave Repatriation Act, NAGPRA, uh, requires that burial garments um, and burial artifacts be returned to the communities which they came from. Um, So as schools or other geological digs occur and they find these burial artifacts, they must be returned under federal law. And I think that is the first step at recognizing that these communities do have ownership over those things. These steps are steps in the right direction, but they're not quite solving the problem that exists. So Luke, is there, are you aware of any legislation that's currently proposed? I know that there's nothing that is currently passed, but have, have there been discussions uh, in, in Congress about such legislation? Not that I'm aware of, no. Um, and I think that ties back to just this persistent hesitance that the United States has to recognizing moral rights and rights beyond the westernized ideals of property rights. And we're only scratching the surface of the ways in which copyright law is incompatible with customary law. I think if we reframe the way we think about this problem and come up with ways in which we can make our current legal framework compatible with these customary laws is the most successful way to go about this because it is respectful of the indigenous communities' beliefs and their ideals, as well as incorporating that into the federal system which we live. Instead of thinking of, okay, how can we specifically protect this thing, or how can this state pass a law to help protect art, it's better to fundamentally restructure and retool our westernized property rights systems in order to help incorporate these ideals of community authorship and communal ownership. Well, thank you, everybody, and thank you, Luke, uh, for giving us some great food for thought. Uh, Once again, folks, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at C-I-P-R-Mauer-I-P-T-H, or reach out to us on our website at iptheory.indiana.edu. Thank you for listening, and we hope you tune in again next week.